We've got a new episode of Swings and Mishes coming up. For almost 50 years, All Year Cooling has been the place that keeps all of South Florida cool. Listen, it is April, and then you know, living here in South Florida, summer is coming, and you do not want to wait to have your system checked. You do not want to wait to replace your unit. You know how this goes. It gets very hot here, basically from the end of April into May and all the way through the summer into the fall. To give you an idea, 10 years ago, I called Tommy Smith at All Gear. He is the owner. He's been the owner, he and his family, for decades. And I purchased a new unit from them. And here we are, 10 years later, I've had absolutely zero issues, and they have the best customer service of any air conditioning company I've ever used. In fact, I think I may have called Tommy twice personally in 10 years. I needed some help. And within the hour, they're at my house. They show up very professional they do a great job and then i'm good to go for months and months and years they're incredible in fact if you schedule a new unit installed before the afternoon they will come and put a new unit in your house in the same day no one in south florida can guarantee that they offer up to 60 month financing and remember i personally use all year cooling and tommy has been a personal friend of mine for over 10 years you call him you let him know you want a cool unit in your house this summer don't wait till june till it breaks down you have to do it now call 866-381-3554 or while you're listening to this podcast take your phone out go to their website allyearcooling.com click on the call now button you'll get connected directly to them and by the way my friend the owner tommy smith you can text him directly from your phone from the website right now and he'll set you up all year cooling is my personal place to go they keep my home cool they keep my family cool for more than a decade the number again 866-381-3554 Hello, Marlins fans, and welcome to a weekend edition of Swings and Mishes. I know that's a little bit rare. I don't know if we've ever done a weekend episode, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and call us the pinch hitters uh, in that this is this is just me and Dutch. It's Jeremy Taché, by the way. Hey, everyone that isn't used to me introducing the show by now. If you're not, I always introduce the show. So, hey, uh, and I'm joined by Michael Sunbake or at Dutch Bake on Twitter, uh, as those of you who listen so lovingly uh, respond and, and reply to him. Uh, so, Dutch, it's nice to be talking with you on this Saturday morning. Uh, I'm the Swings and Mish's fourth outfielder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what, that's what we are. We'll, no, you know what? I'm going to change the whole concept. We're the fourth outfielders. That's how yeah. I'm referring to this. We're not quite once a week. Like, yeah, we're not quite the utility infielders or anything like that no, no, because no, no, that no. would get more playing time. Yeah. Uh, and not even the pinch hitters, because that would insinuate that we come in often, that we're the Lenny yeah. Harris of, yeah. of this podcast. We're like defensive replacements. Yep. Like, Ooh, defensive replacements is yeah. good, too. We'll see what I label this uh, <laughs> but when I do post it on, on Podbean and all of your other streaming uh, services. But anyway, uh, a minute and a half of just sort of rambling here. But uh, maybe that's because the Marlins lost 11-2 to last night. Um, and it was a rough one. Uh, it was one of those games that was seemingly tearing Marlins Twitter apart. Uh, everybody uh, was pretty devastated by uh, Pablo Lopez's start, more just because we all love Pablo Lopez so much. But Lopez 
was not at his best, I would say, uh, in terms of in terms of pitching. He went three innings, ten earned runs on ten hits. He gave up three homers, uh, and it was just a tough loss last night. It's an eleven to two loss coming off of the series with the Cubs, where you know Trevor Richards said after his start, he started the fourth game of that series with the Cubs. If if you didn't watch the series with the Cubs, the Marlins went one and three over that stretch. Mm-hmm. They won the first game. They lost on back-to-back nights on walk-off homers, and then they lost 4-1 to one to the Cubs in their final game, a day game on Thursday. And so you felt like the Marlins really competed, and that's what Trevor Richards said. He was like, look, we competed with a really, really good team. Um, you know, those guys are, are legitimate ball players over there. You know, they obviously, most of them have been to a World Series and won a World Series before for a reason, and, and we're out here playing really good competitive ball, and that's what you can expect going forward. And then on Friday night, the Marlins lose 11 to two. So it's one of those games that's, that's frustrating. It's sort of an aberration. I mean, Pablo has been pretty good. If from the beginning of the year, he had a couple of okay starts, but now, and so his ERA was up towards six, but yeah. it had been trending down, um, you know, when it was down right just above four. And then last night happens. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and give that, give him a pass. Um, on that one, I know that, you know, maybe some other people would disagree with me, but I'm more than willing to give Pablo Lopez a pass. Number one, because he's been pitching well. Uh, if you look at his recent starts, he's been throwing the ball really well. Um, and number two, the way that he handled the, the post game press conference and the way that he handles, um, representing this team consistently, to be honest with you, it was pretty incredible. Um, and if you haven't had a chance, uh, I have tweeted it from my account, but if you want, I'll also retweet it from the Swings and Mishes account if you guys do want to see the way that Pablo responded after the game. But he was nothing but class and positivity and, like, look, owning his mistakes and as, as a pitcher and, and being able to, you know, come back and be positive and say, look, I'll be better next time. Um, but all of that said, uh, the Marlins are in a kind of – frustrating spot they're they're 10 and 28 um you know Pablo has a bad start last night but really the offense has obviously been the most frustrating point for the Marlins uh in I think I saw in their last 11 games they've only scored more than two runs three times in their last 11 games um they've lost one of those games they've won the other ones uh and so Neil Walker and Martin Prado are your leading hitters which is tough because you were hopeful that the young guys would be stepping up and being the guys leading the team. And as fish stripes so eloquently uh, just tweeted at me before we started recording this episode. So thanks for this guys. Uh, Since I wrote the article talking about uh, JT Romuto and Jorge Alfaro and how I felt Alfaro, you know, legitimate major league hitter. And, you know, I still think that I, uh, one stretch doesn't mean anything, but since I wrote that article, he's got a 369 OPS and no extra base hits. So kiss of death from Jeremy Taché. Um, all of that said, it's just a frustrating 10 and 28 start. And I don't think anybody thought they were going to be this bad. Um, we all thought the Marlins would be one of the worst teams in the league. We thought they would at least compete to be, you know, one of the two or three worst teams in the league. And right now they're the worst. And that sort of is what it is. I don't think anybody can be that upset considering this is obviously year two of a rebuild. Um, Let's not over-exaggerate, right? It's, it's theoretically year two of a rebuild. Um, but yes, oh, sorry, the build. Thank you for correcting me. Um, but I guess my question to you, Dutch, and my long-winded way of getting there, um, is did you expect this? Did you expect this team to 
to lose this many games because they've been competitive in a lot of them. But I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, this is the worst start in team history. The, the, the 1998 team even had a better start than this. So, you know, what, what are your takeaways so far this season as the team sits at 10 and 28? Surprise a little bit. I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about the difference right now of am I surprised over they have like four less wins than right. what I thought they would have at this point. Exactly. But my overall takeaway, I mean, I just think, first of all, I think the the offensive just really just let the def, uh, the pitching down. And mm-hmm. that's how you get to that point. I mean, when you're start, when you're pitching, you know, is going out there and competing against good teams that they've played lately and, you know, only giving up three to four runs, right. it's inexcusable to lose those games. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't just be scoring one or two runs a game. So, I just – I mean, I think there's a lot of actual positives to take out. You, when, when, when you're 10 and 28, it's hard to be like, oh, there's so many positives here. <laughs> but, like, right. when you're in the second year of a build, mm-hmm. I think it's better to break everything down individually rather than looking at the full team. Like, until I looked today – and, I mean, I'll, every, I may not watch every game lately – Mm-hmm. But I still, after every night, still go and look what happened. Go right. check what's going on in the minor leagues. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't know, and really don't care that they're ten and twenty-eight. Not right. in a way like, oh, I don't care about them. Just in a way like, I don't care what their record is. I didn't care when it was zero and zero. I don't care, and I'm not going to care in game one sixty. Right. Well, that's that's actually a conversation I had at the very beginning of the year and wrote actually about on FiveReasonSports.com was the record was not going to matter this year. Let, let the team entertain you and focus on, on anything that can go toward the future. And that's what you're saying right here is, is you want to break it down individually and look at the positives in individual players. Yeah. Like you, you tell me, oh, the Marlins are 10 and uh, 28 and their offense sucks. I'll go, okay, yeah, but, you know, they probably legit found their best pitcher. Right. They got a good arm back in Bryce, you know, mm-hmm. Anderson's okay. The numbers aren't there yet, but he's turned it around from his like dreadful start for like yes. the first three weeks of the season. He's turned it around. Miguel mm-hmm. Rojas has kind of proven he can be a everyday major league shortstop, which yeah. is was surprising given where he was four years ago. Absolutely. I think that's actually one of the best surprise, not surprises. Cause I, I don't think it, necessarily shocks people that have paid attention to Rojas but it's one of the most pleasant surprises of of the season so far I agree with you yeah and I mean you can say I look Alfaro Alfaro given what he's had the past couple weeks because you cursed him (laughs) was he's good you know Mm -hmm. he's he's a good piece right Um, so that's I mean that's what I look I mean if you come in, if you're looking at this and you're going to be like, oh, I'm so mad Starlin Castro's not carrying the Marlins to 13 wins at this point. <laughs> right, right. Then, like, you're being mad at the wrong things. Yeah, I mean, you can be mad that Starlin Castro's on the team. You can be mad that Neil Walker's in the lineup all the time. That's the legitimate criticism that I'm sure we'll get into. But, I mean, if that's what you're going to come on and be, like, mad about mm-hmm. in a performance standpoint, in a record standpoint, then you're just – you're looking to be mad because I mean, there's, it's hard to look at it, but there's 
a good amount of positives in the 10 and 28. Yeah, I actually, so I agree with you and we'll, we'll sort of transition here. In terms of dealing with the veterans in the lineup, right? So like I pointed out, Neil Walker and Martin Prado are actually leading the team in hitting And, and Neil Walker, my goodness, he's had a really good year to start. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually pretty great. Now, he, he missed a few games. He's hurt. He's well outperformed what I anticipated that the Marlins were going to be getting out of him. I thought, and it's kind of similar to what we've gotten out of Curtis Granderson thus far, is some production occasionally, but really just being a, a good influence on the young guys in the locker room. And yet, Neil Walker is hitting 289. I mean, that, that's shocking. But I, going to the sentiment of what you were just talking about, it's if you're if you're mad at the overall record or if you're someone that's just paying attention to wins and losses i think you're sort of missing the point of this season um look you want this team to compete you can get frustrated at what you pointed out from the beginning which is the offense letting the pitching down an ordinary you know mlb replacement level type team uh offensively like your average sorry instead of replacement level your average major league baseball team uh if they got the starting pitching and even the relief pitching in, in a lot of circumstances that the Marlins have, have had through most of the season, they're a lot better than 10 and 28. So you can be frustrated that your pitchers have sort of, in some ways, lived up to expectation coming out of spring training, and yet you're not having any semblance of success on the field in terms of wins and losses. But wins and losses aren't necessarily what we are looking for this season. If you're going to be bad, this is something we talk about with the Miami Dolphins all the time. If you're going to be bad, you might as well be the worst, right? Yeah. Or even you've talked about, I know, with the Miami Heat and your sort of controversial ways. But if you're going to be bad, be the worst, right? Yeah. So if never, never be Riley. Oh, God, why would you do Whatever. Anyway, I, this, that's not sponsored by this podcast. Swings and Mishes does not believe in Dutch's take on Pat Riley. But uh, if you're going to be bad, you might as well be the worst. And so the Marlins are going to end up with Spencer Torkelson or Spencer Tankelson, as I like to say. Um, but based off of everything that you're talking about, I actually want to pick out the conversation around the veterans. Mm-hmm. So Curtis Granderson has been in the lineup every single day, sort of regardless of, of production, almost every single day, sort of regardless of production. Starlin Castro, same deal. Now, Starlin Castro, hopefully, and I think will turn it around. He had such a fluke over 29 stretch there that was so bizarre considering he wasn't striking out. Yeah. He wasn't striking out. It's just hitting into bad luck. Um, but nonetheless, I can understand some of the people, and I've had actually a few different Marlins fans sort of reach out to me over the last couple of weeks looking for Harold Ramirez to come up, and we'll get mm-hmm. to that in a second, looking for you know some of these young guys to come up because if I'm going to be watching this team lose, I'd at least like to know what the future is going forward. And so I don't want to watch. This is not, this is not my words. This is what some of these people have reached out and said. It's I don't want to watch this team lose when it's all the, these veterans out there that are only going to be here for the short term. I'd at least like to know what I have going forward. There's two arguments to be made there. In some ways, I absolutely agree with you. I'd love to know because I think there are certain players on this AAA team, um, and we can get into that in a second, that absolutely are ready to be up at the big league level that have proven what they're going to prove at the triple a level or even you know other other levels in the minor leagues and at this point bring them up sit some of those veterans and and move forward 
on the other hand, there's certainly a respect that I can have for this regime thus far and not wanting to rush guys to the big leagues. That's something that the previous regime did constantly. And I wouldn't say ruined the careers of certain players, but there, there were some guys that were these highly touted prospects that were the guys you wanted to be the next person that, that got called up too quickly. And you see this all around the major leagues all the time. And it sort of sent their career on a downward path because they, they were challenged in a way that they weren't ready for quite yet. So I can respect keeping some of the higher rated prospects like Monte Harrison, like Isan Diaz at the AAA level until you are 1,000% sure they're ready to tear it up at the big league level. Mm-hmm. But um, Craig reported on Thursday on our podcast that Harold Ramirez would be called up eventually. Now last night he reported that, that he's on his way up. Um, I don't know if that means tonight. I don't know if that means tomorrow, but the Marlins are ca- calling up Harold Ramirez. I'm excited about that because Harold Ramirez has been on fire for a year. I mean, he he, he crushed it in a winter ball. He's crushing it in uh, uh, New Orleans right now where he's hitting 355. He has a 999 OPS. I, I'm excited to see Harold Ramirez. That's one of the young guys that I think a lot of fans have been clamoring for. But... I would love to know your opinion on do you think that there are maybe some other moves that that should or could be made, you know, with guys like, I mean, Austin Dean, with guys like JT Riddle, who's now down back in the minor leagues, who was seemingly a piece at, at one point and now has been playing some outfield in the minor leagues, you know, and then what do you think about what I said about Harrison and Diaz? Like, are you on the same page there? I'd love to know what you think about sort of that concept. Okay, so... When you when we talk when you were mentioning oh put the veterans aside, I mean I don't see why they just don't you know just shuffle players around like these guys have options they're they're young players on team control there's guys you can shuffle around with options Peter O'Brien I believe still has options Russell Herrera probably still has options you know there's guys on the roster that has options and. So I think there's just moving around. There's nothing wrong with sending guys down to AAA to go work on things. Right. So I think, I think they should make a whole shuffle of moves. And, and I think that includes pitching like hmm. um, Trevor Richards. Yeah. There's I know. Well, I know you mentioned, <laughs> I know you mentioned Richards at a, at uh, previously, um, as someone that you felt like call up Gal and send down Richards. I, I still don't know if I totally agree with that, but I can understand the sentiment and what you're saying, which is basically play with your 40 man. You have yeah. a 40 man for a reason. You have a 40 man full of young players right. in the triple A level. A lot of the 40 man rosters in triple A or in double A. I mean, but you shouldn't call up in double A. Right. But, but I, yes. <laughs> but you have a lot of 40 man players in triple A. That just shuffle them up. There's Austin Dean is a major league baseball player. He yeah. should be in the major leagues, mm-hmm. especially on a ten and twenty eighteen. Right. He, sh- he should be in the major leagues. Uh, JT Riddle should be in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. He 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 has proven that he has no reason to be down in the minor league. Harold Ramirez should be in the major leagues. Right. He's com- he's coming up. So I mean, there's these are all these moves that they they should make. Elijah Hernandez should be in the major leagues. Yeah. Harlan Garcia should be in the major leagues. Um, like there's just so many guys down there that should be up there. Should, you know, it's kind of funny. 
the the <laughs> the way bad. that you're talking about this is actually kind of ringing a bell for another team here in South Florida, and it, I'm going back to it again. It's kind of funny. What what we're talking about is a group of players that are tweeners between major leaguers and minor leaguers, right? We're talking about guys that none of none of the guys that you just mentioned are necessarily, I mean, hopefully this is the case, besides obviously Monte Harrison, but none of the guys that you just mentioned are necessarily supposed to come up to the bigs and be superstars. They're all mm-hmm. supposed to be, hopefully, solid players. Some of the guys that theoretically would be sent down are in that same sort of boat. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me, so I like the idea because you can play with a roster. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I get what you're going for there. It kind of reminds me, again, of the Miami Heat, where you would say, like, they have 12 productive NBA basketball players, but they're all somewhere between, like, a 78 and 82 and an NBA 2K rating, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're all basically the same level of player, and so they had trouble figuring out throughout the year, all right, who's the guy that should be our star on any given night? What you're sort of talking about is, all right, the Marlins have a group of probably really almost all of their position players. Yeah, the only guys know. right now that absolutely should be in the lineup every single day because of youth and production, I would say would be Alfaro and Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. Right. And, and so those two them, guys, right. Besides that, I get what you're everybody saying. Everybody in AAA can sort of play. Are interchangeable. You if can, if the, they have options is what you're if saying. If they have options. Right. Yeah, you don't I mean, want to necessarily DFA guys willy-nilly, obviously. Yeah. I'm, I mean, like, besides Walker and Castro – and, and Prado, mm-hmm. don't want a DFA. Right. But, I mean, like, everybody else, even if you remove them from the roster, odds are they're going to clear waivers and they're going right. to just end up back in AAA anyway. Mm-hmm. So, and you can – there's a legit argument to be made that probably anybody right now in AAA offensively that starts down in AAA will just come up to the major leagues and give the same production. At least. Better. Right. Like the worst case scenario is they're going to give the same produ- production that the person that's up there right now is going to make. So right. why not just give them a chance? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. And I think that that's something that um, could sort of, as like it's what, what we talked about wrapping back around to the beginning, 10 and 28 is one thing. 10 and 28 without sort of seeing the future or without sort of seeing hope is another thing. And so, like you talked about, you want to be able to, at the end of this season, know, okay, these are individuals that we absolutely want to be a part of this ball club going forward. These are individuals that we don't necessarily think make the cut. Mm -hmm. And obviously the difference would be that I'm talking about from the fan perspective. Because obviously the organization can make those types of decisions and make that type of analysis by watching their players every single day at either the major or the minor league level. But just purely from the uh, fan perspective, being in a spot where you can see physically, not just in September, but in May or June or July, some of these young guys come up and have to produce in major league baseball games that matter to other teams is important. Um, and I, I tend to agree with you that, that, you know, right now it looks like Ramirez, you know, I, I did tweet out last night that I think you could see um, maybe some other changes uh, made to this roster and that don't be shocked if you see them sometime soon, but hopefully, you know, we see them in sort of the, the perspective that you're talking about. Um, and so it is going to be interesting to see who goes up, who goes down, if there are any, if there are any sort of DFAs type of type of moves, because I think it's important that, 
you know, this team gets the best out of itself. I think 10 and 28 is one thing. I think losing so many games without any sort of offensive production is another. And it's kind of like, what I'm saying is like, kind of like, remember in 2013 and the, that rebuild, right. Where, okay. The talent that they have now wasn't, is not like the, the talent they had down there. Sure. At that time. But they, they had an injury in the major league level. They call up Marcelo Zuna mm-hmm. early in the year. Ozuna came up, mm-hmm. and he was decent. He wasn't great. He wasn't bad. But what they do? They sent him down because he had options. Right. And they called up Christian Yelich. Right, right. Like, like that's what they should be doing. Right. We have one good prospect up. We saw – okay, we saw this guy. We called up this prospect. Mm-hmm. He showed what he can do for a little bit at the major league level. We got our test. He's, he's probably shouldn't be up here right now anyway. So let's send him back down and try out someone else. Right. And then look what happened. Yeah. Christian yeah, Yelich and Marcelo Zuna became superstars. Yeah. It's actually one of the, uh, <laughs> the only things where I'm going to say, hey, yeah, that old regime handled that the right way. Yeah. Uh, like, but, but, yes, they did. And I actually – I don't disagree with you. I, look, you're right. Those the guys were came more highly, well, and those guys were more highly touted yeah. prospects than, than some of the guys that we're talking about right now. But that's also mm-hmm. sort of irrelevant. It's about yeah, putting no, it players, put your it's, players it's in the best – it's giving your players the best chance to succeed right because when you're in the pcl when you're in new orleans you're gonna hit yeah so a lot of those numbers are inflated Mm -hmm. so it it's kind of does a disservice to yourself to be like okay they're raking in triple a keep them there right you don't know because a 999 ops in triple a is not gonna is most likely not 999 OPS in the majors. Right. Or even in other AAA cities. Yeah, not necessarily, right. So we don't know mm-hmm. unless you physically bring them up there. I'm, because I'm not going to – you can't just, like, go into spring training, oh, look, all these guys had great years at AAA. Right. Right. We need to see what they can do at the major league level. Right, and not just in September. Because yeah. we've talked about spring training and, and September each are kind of mirages and can yeah. be mirages for, for what players are. I, I totally agree with you on this um, in that if you can play around with some options, there's no reason not to shake things up. Look, I'm not, I'm not of the belief whatsoever that w- – the Marlins should be DFAing any of these veterans, to be honest with you. I think all of these guys are not only, for that matter, pretty productive on the field for the most part. Um, you know, there are exceptions to that, but not only have the veterans sort of carried the offense and what the offense has been, but each one of these guys is really remarkable. I mean, I, I know I'm sort of new to the uh, really covering a team thing. Uh, I've been around this market for a couple of years now. Um, I've been around the Marlins for last season and now this season. I know I'm not there every day, um, and I give such credit to the the beat writers that are there every single day. Um, I know I'm not there every day, but being around that clubhouse, you see, you physically can see so easily the influence that Martin Prado, that Neil Walker, that Curtis Granderson, even Starlin Castro, that those veterans have on the young players that are you know, at times struggling um, to, to produce on the field. And, and just the way that those guys are guiding some of the younger players makes them worth sticking around no matter what. Mm-hmm. But I don't disagree with you that when there are guys with options, that we should be toying with those options to figure out, okay, 
who at the AAA level needs to come up, who at the major league level needs to go down, and who can sort of go back and forth until we figure out, yes, this player, this player, and this player are productive major league baseball players, and this player, this player, and this player are not. And it's not a, a criticism or a negative thing towards the guys in no, the major leagues. not at all. Like, th- this was a frustration I had. Like, I like the idea of sending Brinson down. Mm-hmm. I, I would have preferred it to be in double A, but whatever. I like the idea of Brinson going down. But I didn't like the idea of replacing him with John Birdie or, like, Isaac Galloway. I mean, no, and no offense to them. Isaac Galloway is a good guy. He, he's a good He's a good baseball player mm-hmm. who's in AAA. Right. But at the end of the day, he's 29 years old. Right. You wanted to see more youth come I, up. Theoretically, yeah, Harold I, Ramirez. Theoretically, yeah. Monte Harrison. Harrison, yes. Yeah, replace okay. them with prospects. Like, replace right. them with guys with upside. Like, mm-hmm. you just – you can't just be replacing them with guys that are placeholders. Yeah, Theoretical placeholders. They're not even placeholders. They're yeah. just well, like well, – and I would say, look, like you just mentioned, both Birdie and Galloway have actually been relatively productive. Um, Galloway's in one of those stretches right now where it's not looking great. But both of those guys have been productive. Both of them are solid Major League Baseball players. Both of them actually are probably Major League Baseball players. Um, but I get what your point is. It's not necessarily a slight on them as much as it's more if you're going to send down one guy that had upside, please send up another one that has upside as well. And so... We're going to move off this conversation and wrap up real quick with just uh, more just sort of a take than anything. And then we'll get, um, if you guys don't know, and I, if you've clicked on this through Twitter, you do know this, but we will have an interview. Uh, Tony, uh, our do-it-all photographer, uh, had, went up to Jupiter and interviewed uh, Todd Pratt, the manager of the Hammerheads. Um, and so we will have conversation there from, from Tony. Um, but wrapping things up, you know, the MLB draft is, is coming up and, this is more just because uh, we haven't had this conversation on this podcast yet. And I wanted to just sort of get to, you know, it's a little bit away and I'm sure Craig and I will break down uh, the draft as we get closer, but I just sort of wanted to ask you more of an overarching question. Uh, there are three players that have sort of been linked to the Marlins the most here. Uh, one of which we don't think will slip, but it's Andrew Vaughn, the first baseman out of Cal JJ Blude, the outfielder out of Vanderbilt and then CJ Abrams, the shortstop out of, Blessed Trinity Catholic High School in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess my my overall question, and then there's Riley Green after that as well, an out, outfielder out of uh, out of Oviedo, actually, uh, Haggerty High School. Um, my question to you is, as we're going through, because neither of us, let, let's be real, like let's just be straightforward about this. Neither of us have sat here and broken down the swings or the play yeah. of these players. We're not paying that close attention, honestly. We've only read up on something. We've read up, like I've read up on these guys. I've watched some of their tape in in recent weeks because it's gotten closer. But I'm not mm. going to act like I'm an expert quite yet. Yeah, on any I, did, I did it more last year. Darren. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend. I have knowledge here, but I'm not. I'm not spending all of my time looking at these prospects. My question is more overarching. It's not about the individual players as much as it's, it, it's a thought process. Would you prefer the Marlins take a college bat or a high school bat that might have some more upside? So theoretically, C.J. Abrams and Riley Green might have, because they're young kids, they're high schoolers, a little more upside in growth, but you know what you're going to get, theoretically, out of Andrew Vaughn and J.J. Blade. What mindset are you of going into this specific draft with this the Marlins? <laughs> um, I stumped you. 
Well, because I'm just trying to figure out what their exact timeline is. Right. When do they, like, when do they expect to compete? Mm-hmm. Because if it's 2021, yeah. I go college back. Right. Get someone there who will be there in 2021. Right. If it's, you're there and you're like, okay, maybe we're 2022, 2023. Right. And I don't think you can pass up on the pure talent and the upside of one of these high school guys. I, I keep referring back to this time. It reminds me of the 2014 draft where um, you had Radon and Kolick on the board. Mm-hmm. And the Marlins were having a pretty decent season year two of the rebuild. They were actually like flirting in the wild card. Casey McGee was going crazy. It was right, weird. right, right. Everything was oh strange. God, McGee, wow. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I blocked that out of my mind. Oh my god. Everything was strange. Casey McGee was an all star. Like right. This, this oh was it, it, this is like well, honestly one of the most fun seasons I've ever had as a Marlins fan. Uh-huh. But you were in a you saw okay Yelich was up, all these guys were up. You were like okay this team's gonna compete within the next couple years. Right. You, you, they need more pitching. Radon was the obvious choice. Like, mm-hmm. there was no reason to not go anyone but Radon, but for whatever reason, they didn't. Yeah. They went Colic. They went with a high school line. Right. And, and theoretically should have taken the. the they should have taken the college guy that everybody said he could be in the major, league, major leagues, not even next year. He could be in the major leagues in right the now. next month. Right. Like, right. Just put him down in AAA for, or AA for a couple weeks. Right. And, if you're in a wild card run, he can probably come come up. Yeah, yeah. I guess. I, sorry, not to not to interrupt your thought here, but I'm getting sort of the vibe that you're talking about, which is basically planning for whenever you're supposed to peak. Yeah. The other argument that I can make, and sort of this this space where I'm at is, I want one of the college bats. So, like, if Vaughn is gone, please take Blade. And the reason I feel that way is, I. I'm not saying either of these guys is necessarily like Peter Alonso, right? Because Peter Alonso is having a historic rookie season. But Peter Alonso probably could have been up sooner than he was um, for the Mets. He could have been up producing at the big league level kind of whenever they needed him to. And when what we've talked about is that the offense in the Marlins system is sort of barren, and we don't see a lot of guys that we can 100% project to be major leaguers, I'm sort of of the belief of go grab yourself what is already a relatively polished professional hitter that can Mm -hmm. come up and within the next year or two be there and ready to produce. Because even if they're for, like you're saying, when do you want to compete? I'm saying, you know what? I'm okay if J.J. Blade has already played two seasons for the Marlins before they're in total compete mode. Like, I'm okay. I'd like to see some good, young, professional results come from years of losing, right? And I'm not to, that's not to say that C.J. Abrams can't absolutely be a superstar, and he might end up ultimately being better. I don't know the answer to that. And honestly, neither do you. And neither does anybody listening to this podcast. There's no way for anybody to actually predict who's going to necessarily succeed. We look at the top 10 every single year, the top 20. Mike Stroud was the 20th pick in a first-round draft. Like, in a baseball draft, you never know. So, to me, I'm just of the mindset, go take a guy that's proven it against, obviously, better pitching, right? Like, let's let's not mess around here. I was a all county pitcher in high school. Oh, no. yeah. you sh- you so should be some high school kid, 
So some high school kid was the best he was facing was me. Yeah. I'm five foot nine and Jewish, and I threw like 80 miles an hour. So I know that J.J. Blade has faced tougher pitching in the SEC than C.J. Abrams or Riley Green have faced. Riley Green's here in the state of Florida. I know that his the pitching that he's and don't credit yourself. You were eight a, what eight A right? That's I was a. I was yeah I was eight A. That, that's a good conference though. Good, that's a man. Good conference. It's like it matters. Flanagan so- High School. Flanagan <laughs> High School. Right, so so I'm not trying to mess around here, but what I am trying to say is, like, I know J.J. Blade can hit pitchers that will probably play in the major leagues. We had a – who do we have that conversation with? Oh, we had that conversation with Zach Gallen because Zach Gallen was talking about playing in the ACC and saying how playing in North Carolina prepared him great to get to the minor leagues because he was facing all these kids that were going to be pros. Yeah. J.J. Blade and Andrew Vaughn playing in the Pac-12 and in the SEC are doing the same thing. They're facing – so many pitchers that ultimately are going to end up in the minor leagues or maybe the major leagues. I don't know if CJ Abrams has ever faced one. And I know we can project based off of, you know, um, like the perfect game USA tournaments and all of those types of things. So I'm not trying to totally discredit it. Right. But you're facing young kids. You don't really know the answer. And so I'm sort of of the belief at this point that I would love that with where, where the Marlins are currently at in terms of their organizational depth with bats, if they took someone that I can almost guarantee within a year, year and a half, will be up at the big league level if they just produce the way that we think that they will. Not even necessarily overachieving, just the way that they've done thus far. Um, and so that's sort of where I'm at with all of this. But uh, as we wrap this up, it's a reminder that we – uh, stay tuned right now because we are going to have uh, an interview with Todd Pratt, the manager in Jupiter, with some of those young to talk about some of those young arms and some of the young position players that ultimately you might see uh, at the major league level within the next few years. Um, Dutch, thanks for for coming on with us today uh, and being part of the what? What do we call us? The fourth outfielders? Fourth outfielders are defensive replacements. We haven't. I'm gonna maybe I'll use a slash, but th- thanks for joining me. Man. Or minor league debt. <laughs> Start, um, we got to see two of them today. Starting with Braxton Garrett, he's came out for Tommy John, and he yeah. had shows a lot of um, strikeout potential. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, he's really just really hasn't pitched a season in pro ball yet, and uh, you know, kids really just came out of high school, even though it's been two years because he, he with the injury. Um, you know, plus breaking ball, good changeup, composure. I mean, just he just needs his reps. Um, Jordan Holloway a little bit longer. He had like a almost like the same timeline. More stars. Oh, he coached, he coached Holloway in um, Greensboro, Greensboro two, two years ago. And he's, he's been um, got a couple good starts now. Like, oh, um, yeah. Well, he's got, you know, he's got three weapons in his arsenal. You know, I mean, he's a top line front end starter. And, uh, you know, obviously with his velocity and curveball. And, and, I mean, he's got three plus pitches. So he, he just needs he just needs his innings, you know. You know, there's high expectations, but he, he you know, we, we try to keep him steady head and uh, just just let it happen. And uh, Trevor Rogers today, um, I know it's like a lot of these guys are really good with like, with, with high, there's like a lot of like strikeouts, pass innings pitched. The way I think like this group has been really good, at, like getting guys out, even if they get tagged a couple times, most of their outs have become. Through strikeouts, is like well, two of them are first round picks, yeah. and Hollywood Holloway was a, a, a gem in the middle rounds. Uh, 
you know, the, the, they're the future of the Marlins pitching staff, and, and what you've seen is is what we all know. They just they all need reps. You know, last year Rogers was his first year pitching, and uh, so he's entering his second season, and just they all got composure and they all have the stuff. Now it's just about getting reps, innings. During your playing days, you had the Phillies during their World Series run in '93, and the Mets in their run yeah. in 2000. In the twilight of the Braves years in like '06, I believe. Yeah. They've all they've all had like really good staffs. Mm-hmm. But from a potential standpoint, does like this group stack up or like look like they could potentially be something like that that you've seen in the past? Well, I, I can't compare, you know, veteran staffs. I just think they they all have bright futures. They all have a chance uh, to be in a major league rotation. And all it is is their development. And if they stay healthy, I think the best guy he has so far is um, Edward Cabrera. Like he's the last like three starts, he's not he's been, given up a run. He's been great. I mean, he, him, and Holloway are very comparable. I mean, they both throw 97, 98 miles an hour with with bigly curved balls and plus changes. Uh, Holloway and Cabrera are very, very comparable front end starters. One thing I've noticed uh, recently, and I guess there's there's connection points with some of these guys, uh, Garrett and Will Stewart, teammates for the first time, but both high school products from Alabama. Yeah. Holloway and Garrett went through Tommy John rehab together and roommate together in Jupiter. There's like a lot of like there's like they seem like a close new group of like chemistry. Is that well, they're most they're most definitely bonding. Uh, um, I think they all compete off each other, which is great, kind of compared to the Braves staff uh, that I wasn't a part of. But, you know, th- th- those three guys, you know, it's just like they work hard together, they, they, they compete against each other, and it's only going to make them better in the future. I know um, this was, I think, over 30, 32 probably years yeah. ago since the last time you played in, in the Florida State League. How much different has this league changed since um, between your playing days and now your coaching piece here? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, it definitely it's a pitching league, and I think that's due to the big stadiums, and uh, and the ball doesn't really fly due to the humidity, but, uh, you know, compared to the players now, back in 1987, uh, there really is no comparison. They're much better. The lifestyle also has to be better, too, right? Like, uh, it yeah. has to be like this. Yeah, the way they take care of the players and, and have the strength and conditioning coaches and, and make sure they're fed, most definitely. But, um, you know, I'm not complaining about 1987 either. It was fun years. Yeah. I think Don Manley was also in that de- maybe a little bit earlier in that decade. I remember talking to him one time where he, was, he told me, like, when he Greenboro, his meal budget during like road trips it yeah. was like 425 going to the game and then 425 back yeah, to the game yeah, it's something like that yeah. I can't remember but it wasn't it wasn't uh, uh, like it is now um, so you had to survive you know I mean I remember bringing coolers full of uh, groceries just on the road you know I try to save my money I know you know I've talked to a lot of people or like we or a lot of like reporters have tried to get more about the lifestyle of a minor league player what's What's a typical day like for a Marley manager? Since I just, uh, you know, I show up here about 10 o'clock in the morning and kind of go through all my paperwork and uh, set my lineups. And uh, and my day starts at 10 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, tonight I'll probably get home at, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning. So, uh, 
you know, you're, you're here for these kids and mentor them and, and help them develop and kind of share your experiences uh, in your playing career and uh, and help them. I wish I would have had someone like me when uh, I was this you know, you know as young as these guys. But you know, it's just it's a, it's a, it's a long work days and it, and it's I love it. Yeah, I know it's like a man of your experience. It's great for kids like here because baseball is just like stacked. Like the adversity is always like stacked, just like trying to like survive week to week. Yeah, you just gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta with, you gotta be even kill with your emotion and know it's a 140 game season, and uh, you know, it, there's definitely ups and downs for these young men, but uh, but you just gotta, you got, you, got, you know, you gotta stay the ship and just show them that that every day you're the same. I think um, doing my research, I found really interesting. Between, I think it was like '96, you worked in. Uh, you were out of baseball. You worked in, in pizza, and you also worked as a instructor with Bucky Dent's yeah. school. And then you got back into baseball. Yeah. Was there um, was there a lesson? Was there like a lesson that you probably learned from the Bucky Dent um, camp that helped you get back into baseball? You no, know, I just the Mets asked me to come back, and you know I was trying to take care of my wife and kid, and you know. Uh, I got lucky. I mean, I, you know, Mets asked me to come to spring training in 97, and the rest is history. Appreciate you. Oh, no, thank you, brother. Appreciate it.